HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Visit a farm. Log on to escapemaker.com for more ideas on local weekend getaways and day trips to orchards, farms, wineries, breweries, and more. Get out of the city and explore while also supporting your local farmers. Log on to escapemaker.com now to get inspired and make your escape through the net. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. All right. Good morning, everybody. This is the Farm Report. This is Chally Comer. I am filling in for Erin Fairbanks as host today while she's traveling. Today we are continuing the theme we've been developing over the season. We're building each show around a broad issue related to the agriculture industry, whether it's regulation, labor, technology, health, and nutrition. We're using our common interests around community and small businesses and natural resources to start conversations with people who might have some perspectives different than ours, uh, kind of getting out of the echo chamber. And we're also speaking to experts in the field to deepen our understanding of issues that we're interested in. So when we planned today's show a few weeks ago, we weren't, uh, we hadn't anticipated how timely it would be, but today we are discussing agriculture and immigration. And of course, American policies related to immigrants and refugees have been at the top of the news in the past week. So today we're going to hear from an expert in the field uh, about immigration, about the immigrant workforce in the agriculture industry, the communities, the economic reality, and the policy implications related to immigration. So let's keep educating ourselves and keep understanding to work a lot of work with a lot of the complexities of these issues. Um, I'm thrilled to be joined today by my colleague, Maria Rojas. Maria is a program manager at Grow NYC here in New York City. And in this role, she organizes trainings and provides direct technical assistance to farmers in all stages of their career, including uh, focus on beginning farmers and immigrant farmers. So Maria, could you tell us a little bit more about your background and your work? Um, thank you, Charlie. I'm really excited to be here. Um, thank you for having me. 
This work is really important to me. I am from Colombia, and I have been working with a lot of farmers who have um, trouble accessing labor, um, and also a lot of farmers who, um, a lot of immigrants who have a lot of skills um, and don't always get the chance to start businesses and um, empower themselves through agriculture. So I'm very passionate about the subject. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks, Maria. Um, and we're also joined on the phone by Mary Jo Dudley. Um, we're really excited to uh, include Mary Jo in our conversation and get to interview her today. She has an incredible background in this field. She's the director of the Cornell Farm Worker Program and a faculty member in the Department of Dev Development Sociology at Cornell University. Her research is focused on immigrant workers, farm worker empowerment, migration from Latin America to the United States, and immigrant communities within the United States. Her work through extension includes education around health and safety for farm operators and the farm workers, planning assistance related to state and federal laws that impact farm workers, and work, she provides workshops that improve communication between farm workers, their employees, and the members of the community in which they live. Mary Jo is a recipient of numerous awards for her education work and her research, including the White House Champions of Change Cesar Chavez Legacy Award. Um, one last important announcement I want to make sure to include is that on February 28th, Mary Jo will be a speaker at the Slow Food New York City Food Almanac. It's happening at Brooklyn Winery from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. And it includes an incredible lineup of speakers from local, from across the state, and from across the country. Um, and the tickets tickets for it are available at slowfoodnyc.org. It's their major fundraiser of the year. It's a really great event. It's been going on for... I'd say probably close to 10 years at this point. Um, and, and the focus will be on agriculture and food policy in the new presidential administration. Um, also, one, one other thing to mention is that if you'd like to learn any more about Mary Jo's work, uh, you can find it at farmworkers.cornell.edu. Mary Jo, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. Um, well, there's so much to talk about in this issue, um, but we'd really like today to focus on your experience, your knowledge, and really understanding um, farm labor from a human scale and from the community level. So could we talk first about the, the farm worker community? Who are the farm workers? Um, why do they come to the United States to work? And just talk about the community overall. Yes, thank, I'm, I'm so delighted to be with you, and I'm very happy that there's this new interest in understanding who's involved in every aspect of producing food that we eat. So just a little bit of background. Um, it's very difficult to have a really good sense of the numbers of farm workers, but just to give some guidance, um, the Ag Census in 2012 indicated that on 10,345 farms, and we know there are about 36,000 farms in New York State, they estimated the farm worker population to be almost 61,000 hired farm workers. Um, so if we look at who do we see on farms, as you know, we produce many things in New York State. Um, one of the trends that is very obvious is the presence of farm workers who originate from Mexico and Guatemala. And many of those people came into the U.S. without a visa, um, found employment, and in fact 
it's very difficult to get a visa to do farm work um, in certain commodities. Many of them are working on dairy farms. There is no visa for guest workers or workers um, on dairy farms. And so a little bit about that population, a lot of my work really focuses on working with that population, immigrant farm workers. Um, because the vast majority of these workers come without proper documentation, movement off the farm is very dangerous and difficult for them. So we tend to see that you might not run into these workers unless you happen to be um, at the Walmart at 10 o'clock on a Sunday night and you might see a collection of primarily young men from Mexico and Guatemala and they may be there to do their, shop, their weekly shopping and to send money home. So one of the things that we find within this population is because they don't have a legal work status, they tend to work very long hours and they don't often leave the farm. Common practice is that the workers on dairy farms, for example, might be taken to town once a week or once every two weeks, and they tend to go to a large store that will allow them to purchase food, personal items, and send money home. Um, so the, the community is, as you said, largely unseen, and the reason is that they do not want to be seen. Visit a farm. Log on to escapemaker.com for more ideas on local weekend getaways and day trips to orchards, farms, wineries, breweries, and more. Or come by Escape Maker's Blue Tent in Grow NYC's Green Markets and pick up a guide to local agritourism escapes to the Green Market's own farmers and producers. Have you listened to On the Road with Beer Sessions Radio? Escape Maker has teamed up with Heritage Radio to design a vacation package that provides a first-hand experience of the local flavors from some of New York's best craft beverage producers. Listen in and book your trip at escapemaker.com slash heritageradio. No car? No problem. Escape Maker features plenty of ideas for car-free getaways, including discounts via Amtrak. Get out of the city and explore, while also supporting your local farmers. Log on to escapemaker.com now to get inspired and make your escape through the net. Mary Jo, you were talking a little bit about how farm workers can mean different things, right? So it can be an American worker, it can be an undocumented worker, someone who's here on a temporary H-2A visa, um, how do you think we can use language to better differentiate between these different subsets? And how do you think this plays out in the community, given that these different groups have very different rights? Yes. Um, well, so just in general strokes, let's look at New York State. And if, again, I'm pulling from the Ag Census, which was conducted in 2012. So we're talking about a few years ago. Um, just in general, that census estimated about 61,000 hired farm workers, and it also points to 41,000 what is classified as unpaid workers. So why do you have these different numbers and what does it mean? I think people tend to think about farm workers as migrant farm workers, and historically these are the workers who have conducted harvest, primarily harvest activities going from farm to farm. The East Coast migrant stream is people who may have their home base in a southern state such as Florida, 
and they follow the harvest through the Carolinas, and New York State is typically the last stopping point for that. Again, in the census, this accounted for an additional 10,000 workers estimated. Um, so migrant workers are people who actually travel from farm to farm, and they're primarily involved in harvest activities. Once the harvest is completed here in New York State, they would typically go back to their home state. They might go to the southern states to be involved in citrus and other um, agricultural activities. Could we talk it, a little bit more specifically it, 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 about um, the the crops in New York State in addition to dairy? So you you know you've mentioned citrus and things like that, but what are some of the other foods that um, would be harvested with this workforce? Yeah, so that might include people who are picking cabbage. We're a major cabbage producer: corn, pumpkins, squash, um, apples, pit fruits. We have a whole range of things that we produce that require a very intensive labor force during the harvest period. I want to just kind of point out that it used to be that this was the central group of farm workers that people were referring to when they talked about farm workers because about two-thirds of the farm worker population in New York State were migrants. And that changed with transitions in the dairy sector, where it's now become about a third of the population are truly those migrant workers who go from farm to farm to farm, or state to state to state, and then return to southern states. Now we have about two-thirds of the farm worker population live here year-round. So who are those workers? Those are workers on dairy farms, but also they're workers who may be involved in different activities in fruit and vegetable production. They may be involved in planting. They may be involved in pruning. They may be involved in picking. And they may be involved in packing. So if we look at workers in the apple industry, there are different activities that take place around the year. Um, and so we often see families who may be in work on an apple orchard, and they may also combine that work with um, pruning and tying activities in the vineyards. So there's, the labor force has changed significantly um, so that we now have people who are living year-round, either working on dairy farms or patching together different employment um, on more than one farm. And one, just one other question on the statistics or the estimates of it, too. Something that I've found really interesting is, you know, we hear all the, I've worked a lot with beginning farmers and things like that in the course of my career, and we hear so much about how less than 2% of the American population is involved in agriculture. But then I've also seen statistics or estimates, I guess I should call them rather than statistics, um, that 72% of the agricultural workforce in America is is immigrant labor and it's just for me that's something that really sticks with me is resolving that um you know what what those actual numbers look like and and the extent to which um just our food system is really into that farm workers are integral to the agricultural industry and we've talked some about the major crops like apples and cabbage but um what about 
foods that are you know we might find that we we buy through the farmers market or specialty crops like um, leafy greens that we might um, purchase at uh, you know a grocery store or something like that in our neighborhood here in New York. Yeah, it's it's very much a mixed bag um, of who's involved in production. But let's talk at, at the national scale. Um, as you know, statistics are hard to really rely on totally because of how they're gathered. But at the national level, we have the National Agricultural Workers Survey. And what they have found is that nationwide, over half of the farm worker population is undocumented, meaning they do not have a work permit. And that population is typically immigrant workers, primarily coming from Mexico, Guatemala. Um, and in addition, you have a workforce which is the temporary guest workers, the H-2A workers. And sending countries for H-2A workers include Mexico, Guatemala, Jamaica, but those, again, are immigrant workers. They're not they, didn't, they weren't born here in the U.S. So when you combine the general population that's involved in production activities on farms with temporary guest workers, then the, the percentages of immigrant workers we know are high. And so I, I do think that um, it, the, the other part of this counting people who are farm workers which makes it complex, is even in, in the Ag Census, we have a significant number of people who are unpaid workers. What does that mean? Does that mean family members who help out on the farm? You know, what does that mean? And so really centering on counting farm workers is tricky business. Um, it's, it's what I think is really important for people is to work from the perspective perspective that m most of our food goes through the hands of immigrant workers, yeah. whether they're with a visa or without a visa. And the question is, why is that the case? And we know that in um, discussing farm work with unemployed people, there are, a lot, there are obstacles. You know, some of them are logistical. Um, we spoke with some people at an unemployment office and asked if they would be interested in working on a dairy farm, it's year-round employment, et cetera. And some of them said, I don't have a car. How would I get there? And some of them are more related to what I would say is an attitude that this is physically demanding work. At times it can be dirty work. And in some ways it's socially denigrated work. So you don't have people really looking for these jobs. One of the other concerns is the wages. And the farm worker minimum wage in New York State is now $9.70 an hour. It increased as of December 31st, um, 19, uh, 2016. The, the wages for those people who come on guest worker programs for New York State are $12.38 an hour. So the question about how wages fit into this picture, I think can't be seen alone 
it has to be seen in combination with how the work is carried out. It's carried out in rural areas, so you need to have transportation to get to those jobs. It's physically demanding work. Um, it often requires that you're working outside, so you have climatic aspects. So there's a whole range of things that fit into this. Um, yeah, and so because these farm workers are um, doing these hard jobs and there's lack of um, visibility, they're spending a lot of time on the farm, and I know that you've done a lot of work to increase, um, to improve relationships between farm owners and their employees. Can you tell us a little bit about that work? Yes, we were, we were fortunate to have some funding from the New York Farm Viability Institute to develop activities on farms that were really focused about improving workplace communication and workplace relations. How can we better improve the way employers and workers interact? We look at how can we fill in gaps where employees may not feel that they've had enough training or they want more training. What kind of mechanisms can be put into place that will improve the way that uh, information is, chair is shared between immigrant workers and their employers and managers? Um, it's been very exciting to see the interest among the farmers as well as the farm workers in creating positive workplaces. They want their, their workplace to be a fun place to be. People work hard, but they need to feel positive about what they're doing. Um, one of the, the areas which I think has been quite challenging for producers is when the workforce, in particular on dairy farms, comes from Mexico and Guatemala, um, farmers need to provide housing. And I think that one of the, the challenges that we've seen is farmers who don't want to be landlords, who don't feel skilled at being landlords, and it, it creates a different relationship when the people who work on your farm also live on your farm. So we've been working with with workers and employers to try to develop mechanisms to improve communication around housing issues, um, such as when things break, who do you let know, who has responsibility, um, and to really think that since many of the workers do not leave the farm frequently, their time off is spent in their housing. So what can be done to create the best housing situation as possible? Sometimes we see these workers are part of a family, so the house has more of a family-type feel. And other times it's a collection of single men who live um, in the same location, so it has more of a frat house type of um, uh, sense. So one of the areas is how can we create, working with the farm owners and managers and farm workers, mechanisms to create settings, training, safety that will promote agricultural production and create a better quality of life for all those people who are working on the farms. 
And building on that, um, a few months ago, you had an article in the conversation about how any updated um, policies related to deportation threatens American food, America's food and wine supply. And we'll add that to our, our show page. Um, but right now, everybody's, you know, there's so much interest around immigration policy and what the regulations really look like. And it's hard to understand, you know, all of these different visa programs and what they really look like on the ground. But what are some things that, you know, could we do a kind of a general overview of the what H-2A is, what people should be aware of around these um around these regulations and, and how a, you know, a plan for deportation might impact our industry? So H-2A, H-2A is a temporary guest worker program that is run through the Department of Labor. So a farmer would apply for a certain number of workers who would come to their farm and work a, a period of time which has a beginning date and an end date, and that is protected by um, wages that are set at the federal level, and so those workers in New York State would earn $12.38 an hour, and they would have a contract, beginning date, and an end date. So they have a visa for being here, but that doesn't really accommodate the year-round um, agricultural production activities, particularly on dairy farms. And what I think need to be focused on right now is those people, we know that a certain percentage of them are here without proper documentation. So they could be the focus of an immigration enforcement uh, policy. As we watch what's happening at the national level, um, Tom Homan is, has been uh, promoted as the acting ICE director Immigration Customs Enforcement, and that is somewhat troubling because he has been working for the ICE enforcement and removal operations since 2013, and he has a strong um, career as a can-do bureaucrat. And so one of the questions is, now that he has a higher position than Daniel Ragsdale, is is the current White House looking for somebody that they can hold accountable to rapidly increasing raids and removals within immigrant communities? These are some questions that I think we need to pay particular attention to um, because it's, it's unclear, but this indicates that perhaps the White House is laying the groundwork for a more extensive um, policy aggression against undocumented communities, and so we need to pay attention to what that would mean. What would that mean for our farms? And, and as you know, if, if, if the workers don't come to work, if they're detained, then the cows don't get milked, the apples don't get picked. All of those things have very real implications for agricultural production, which requires workers there on time and responding to production needs. And it's hard to imagine what, you know, three million undocumented immigrants getting deported would look like. Uh, but can you just 
talk a little bit more about what that would look like at the farm level. Um, are there any protections that people can put into effect, and um, who else would they hire if there are in the, if this labor force is no longer there? Well, I think one of the, the things that we have been focused on is <clears throat> we conduct um, emergency planning workshops on farms, and these are ways to prepare farm workers for any kind of an emergency. It could be a farm accident, an automobile accident, or an immigration detention. And what we do is we talk with people about what are the things they should think about in advance. What are the kinds of plans they can make in the workplace? Um, what, how should they respond if they are um, stopped by immigration officials? What are their options in terms of that process? This, of course, changes as the policies change, and so we try to keep these updated. We work closely with um, attorneys from the law, Cornell Law School as well as Legal Aid Society to update our materials, but really going to the farms and talking with people um, to see what their options are. What would that look like? We have seen this in upstate New York. We have seen people being, although not for many years, uh, previously we saw immigration officials go on the farms and detain workers. This is, does not have a very positive face. Um, several years ago, uh, a raid on a, an apple orchard resulted in the adults being processed for de deportation, leaving behind 23 U.S. citizen children. It's very real, the separation of undocumented parents from their U.S.-born children. And we need to kind of think through what are the, the ways that we can put plans into place so that if any emergency arises, um, that families are prepared. Could you speak a little bit more about the kind of job competition or the, you know, the, the idea of competition for jobs between a foreign-born workforce and a locally-born workforce and how that plays out? You know, that is a common discussion around around issues related to immigration, just that jobs are being taken away and... Is, is that something that we, we see in the food and ag industry? Well, part of our research project on imp improving workplace relations, we talk with farmers and look at, back at who the workforce was. And many of the producers talk about labor shortages. They were unable to um, keep workers on the farm, or they found that the people who were applying for those jobs had other issues. Um, the farmers are the best source for this, and they say they don't have local workers. It's very difficult to find local workers. And so when these workers uh, from Mexico and Guatemala um, showed up on their farms, the way that various farmers talk about it is they wanted to give it a try, and they've been very happy because they show up on time, they're there every day, they work hard. Um, and it supports the success of the farms without these kind of workplace interruptions when workers don't show up for work. Well, as one farmer uh, stated, she said, I would always have to listen to see if I heard somebody coming in for the 3 a.m. shift because I knew if they didn't show up, 
I had to get out of my bed and go milk, make sure the cows got milk. So I think the farmers can really give you great insights on if they see immigrant workers taking jobs away or how the, the immigrant workforce now has diminished that stress over labor shortages. And I've, I've always been kind of fascinated by how farm owners find these employees. So could you tell us a little bit more about how that works, the, the agencies or the kind of people who are jobbers or whatever they are that like help make those connections? I think one of the components of, of the current farm workplace is since people not only are coworkers but they're housemates, what has happened over time is when a worker decides that they're leaving or they have to leave, there's been a process of recruiting their own replacement because they're recruiting a person who will work, be able to work well with their coworkers and live in their housing. So the self-replacing workforce has been in place for, for some time. We do see new efforts to bring workers who don't have the immigration challenges that the current workforce has. So there are um, agencies that are recruiting workers from Puerto Rico. Um, they look for people who are unemployed, who'd be willing to come to New York State either year-round or for a few months out of the year. And so that is one thing that is happening. In some other communities, they've been working with refugees to train them in agricultural production. But we don't see an easy replacement should the current workforce be deported. More importantly, this is a workforce that has gained skills over time. So this is not an unskilled workforce. <clears throat> and so at any, if, they, if they were to leave, there would be extra costs for the farmer in training new people, recruitment. Um, all of those costs would have to come out of the general farm budget. Um, but the real concern is if someone leaves today, who is going to be filling in for them? And one thing is the labor force, but another thing that I deal with a lot um, with our group of farmers is that many of them are looking to retire. And we know that an estimated 70% of farmland will change hands in the next 20 years. Um, that being said, most farmers don't have an identified successor to take over their business. Do you see an opportunity for this immigrant labor force um, to take over these businesses in the future, and what are things we can do to encourage that? There's definitely interest, but I think one of the important changes is that there would have to be a change in some in immigration status so they could be more involved in their community and move freely. Um, there are efforts, certainly, to um, transition some of these workers to beginning farmers. And I applaud those efforts. Um, my sense is that we will still need, there's still a need for what we call general laborers on the farms that won't include necessarily those people who become farm owners or managers. So it's a big question where these people will come from. Agreed. Um, thank you again. I I just want to 
ask a last question, uh, which is probably in a lot of people's minds, is how can, if you're interested in this, how, what can we do? How can we stay involved and informed about these issues? I think it's really critical to pay attention to what is happening with regard to immigration um, reform. It seems that those people who are interested in agriculture who respect that there is a trained, a skilled workforce that is now working on farms should be pushing for immigration reform, which would allow those people to get the correct documentation so they could continue to work as successful workers in the industry. Um, so things are changing very quickly at the national level, so we need to be vigilant and watch to see what those opportunities are. In New York State, there are efforts to uh, allow uh, work, immigrant workers to have access to driver's licenses. This would be important to decrease their dependency on um, local individuals who charge them to drive them to town. So these are some of the efforts, it's the green light campaign, and these are some of the efforts that we should be looking at, helping to support, thinking about. Um, it creates a situation where we need to be ever more vigilant, ever more aware of what policies are underway. Yeah, and I've, I've heard that over the years, and this conversation definitely makes me appreciate why the, the license policy is, is so important and what an impact it really has just on the everyday lives of, of these people who are so important and integral to our industry. And um, I think for me, what will really stick with me is how you're saying that, you know, the, the extent to which our, our industry depends on the immigrant workforce and when <laughs> next time I buy local apples or Greek yogurt or wild arugula, I'll remember that it was, um, you know, it was, it came through the hands of, of immigrant labor. And um, so thank you so much for your time. And um, we're going to be wrapping up. So for more information on Mary Jo's work, again, their website is farmworkers.cornell.edu. And if you'd like to hear her speak in real life and in, in the flesh, um, the event, the coming up event, it's, hey, today's the first day of February. So mm -hmm. the last day of February, February 28th, 6.30 p.m. is the 2017 Food Almanac through Slow Food New York City. And their site is slowfoodnyc.org. Thanks so much, Mary Jo. Thank you. For listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? 
rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.